on making it home this time without having COVID because it was last year after this camp that uh, I caught COVID and was terribly sick for two weeks. I have said it was actually on Monday after coming home from the camp that I got sick with COVID, so uh, we're not out of the woods yet, but I have prayed, Lord, I really don't want to get COVID again, but... uh, so tomorrow, I guess, will be an important day. I don't know if I caught COVID at the camp. I, I do think that last year there was, I know that there was a man at the camp who had COVID, and he had it the last couple of days he was there. So I think he may have been the fountain of all the COVID that spread to me and to other people who were at the camp. Interestingly, this same man uh, came down with COVID again this past week, but he was not at the camp. He wasn't feeling well at the beginning of the camp, so he stayed home. So thankful for his consideration and not bringing that back to camp. Of course, one of the effects of COVID is that you can't smell anything and you can't taste anything. And um, it, uh, it hit me hard in that way. So I couldn't smell anything. I couldn't taste anything. And I really think that it has been only this summer that my, my taste has come back fully. So one of the, one of the things that I would use has my smell come back is I would smell honeysuckle and I I couldn't smell honeysuckle all through last fall and then of course honeysuckle doesn't bloom at all in the winter and this spring when the honeysuckle began blooming a little bit I would smell it and say I I think I'm getting that I think I'm getting that but just in the last few weeks when the honeysuckle came out big and strong that I could smell it and and had the taste that goes along with that of course throughout all of those uh, 10 or 11 months when I couldn't taste I never starved to death. I would continue to eat. And uh, during those weeks and months when I could virtually taste virtually nothing, I continued to eat and I continued to try to eat things that were good for me. And I saw, well, there's no point in my eating junk whatsoever. Uh, So I, you know, was able easily to turn away from desserts and uh, things that you eat primarily for the pleasure of taste. Uh, I, I... I have been blessed with uh, the ability to eat almost anything. I'm not aware of anything that qualifies as food that uh, I am unable to eat, and even able to eat some things with some enjoyment that most people wouldn't consider food. And uh, so uh, I said that one time to a, a class when I was teaching English to international students, and some of the students from Japan asked, have you ever eaten natto? Anybody in here ever eaten natto? Anybody know what natto is? I bet you can order online. You should get some and try it. It's a fermented soybean, and it's something that apparently you have to have an an acquired taste for. So they brought me some natto. You can get it in the United States because I was teaching in the United States at this time. And uh, so they brought me some natto, and uh, uh, they were amazed that I could eat natto and not be repulsed by it. The point that I'm making here in all, in all of this is that you, can, you may not be like, like me and be able to eat everything, uh, but you can eat things that are good for you that are not your favorite things to eat, and, uh, and hopefully that you're, you're governed by what you know about good food, that even though broccoli is not your favorite thing to eat because it's so good for you, you eat broccoli, even though, uh, you know... Brussels sprouts are not your favorite thing to eat. You can still eat Brussels sprouts. You can survive that way. 
You can survive eating, eating good food that never really makes you say, oh, that is so good. Uh, the Lord has told the children of Israel here, I am not going to go with you to Canaan. I'm going to send an angel with you, but I'm not going to go with you. You know, with an angel, with one of the Lord's angels authorized to lead them into Canaan, they were going to make it. They were going to get there. And I'm sure that there were many people among the, the Israelites who might have said, well, thank God, at least we're going. And it's wonderful that an angel is going. But there were many people who, when they heard that the Lord was not going to go with them, that they said, this is not good. We want something more. And uh, in the passage of Scripture that I'm going to attempt to preach through this morning, we find Moses saying, I want something more. The main point of this sermon, and I hope I make several other good points before I get to the main point, but the main point of this sermon is that we ought to be a people who long to experience God and to see His glory. Because Moses is going to say, now show me your glory. And... uh, I think there's some interesting lessons for us in that, but one of, the, one of the lessons is we shouldn't be satisfied all the time with just the, the bare minimum of the Christian life. Uh, doctrine is wonderful, church life is wonderful, and it will get you there. I mean, if you're really a Christian, you're going to get to heaven because you've trusted in Jesus, even if you don't have glorious experiences. But I think that it's healthy of us to long for an experience of God. I can, uh, I can eat uh, spinach and carrots and sardines for breakfast, and I, I do on a fairly, a fairly regular basis. But it's not glorious. Homemade cinnamon rolls, undercooked just a little bit so that they're gooey in the middle. That's glorious right there. And, uh, and so, there is much about the Christian life. I mean, it's not all mountaintop experiences, but I think we should want one every once in a while. I think every once in a while, and more often than every once in a while, we should say, Lord, will you just let me experience you? Will you show me your glory? Will you let me have, a, let me have an experience of your presence That's what Moses asks for here. But before we get to that, there are some other important things that I think we can see. And the first thing that I want you to see from this passage of Scripture is some of the circumstances that often accompany a manifestation of God's glory. Some of the circumstances. Some of the activities that often accompany a manifestation of God's glory. And the first thing that I want to point out to you is from the context that sometimes God reveals His glory in, uh, in situations of great disappointment. Moses was, had been appointed to be the leader of God's people, and uh, I know that Moses had endeavored to do his best to lead them well. And I, I'm going to say that If you had asked Moses the day before he went up the mountain, 
Moses, what do you think are the odds that before you come down from this mountain, the people of Israel are going to make an idol out of gold and they're going to worship and say that this is the God that brought them out of Egypt? I'm going to say that Moses would have said, no, my people are not going to do that. They have seen the manifestation of God's presence and I've taught them, I've tried to set them an example and no, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, You probably have had instances in your family or in your church life where people have done things that you thought that's impossible they would never do that maybe a church leader that you respected that you found out that he had been living a secret immoral lifestyle Uh, maybe a child or children in whom you invested heavily teaching them the word of God bringing them to church and 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 then they when they get older they turn away and rebel It may be that something like this has happened even in your life. But sometimes, out of the midst of these very disappointing circumstances, God manifests His glory. You know, I I, I was called to preach when I was 17. And on my 18th birthday, I got asked to be the regular preacher at a new church that was being formed. Now, I was in over my head. At age 18, I was not ready to preach every week, but, you know, when necessity says you must, then the responsible youth says, then I'll try. And so I did, and here I was preaching every week, and the Lord, the Lord blessed the mess, and uh, I'm not going to repeat some of those sermons that I preached in those days, but, you know, God blessed anyway, and uh, one day... Uh, my college roommate and I stopped to help a lady who was having car trouble, and we ended up taking her and her family home, and uh, and we were witnessing to her. And I told her that I was the pastor at the church where I was, and and uh, she, and would you like to come to church? Yes, you'll come this. I I will come and pick you up this Sunday. I'll come and pick you up. So I borrowed my roommate's car, or maybe he took me there and knocked and stood outside and knocked at that, that woman's door, and I knew she was in there, but she never came. One day I was making a pastoral visit, and I knocked on the door, and on the other side of the door I heard the woman say, it's the preacher, don't answer it. <laughs> I said, all right. I'm not going to keep knocking at this door. It seems to me like this is a cast your pearls before swine situation. And uh, But anyway, I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed. And later on after that happened, I was talking to my dad on the phone. And he said, son, if you're going to be in the ministry, you've just got to understand that people are going to disappoint you. And uh, say that to you young men who are preparing for the ministry and There will be disappointments, but sometimes out of those disappointing situations, God sends a shaft of his glorious light into your life that you you were prepared for because you were so empty and devastated by the disappointment of people who really ought to have stepped up to bat and done better. Now, that's Moses' situation here. The people of Israel had deeply had deeply disappointed him, but out of that, he asks for and receives a manifestation of God's glory. So one of the circumstances that 
often accompanies the manifestation of God's glory is that it comes to us in disappointing circumstances. And so if your life is a mess or you've got messy, messy things going on in your life, and we all do, that is an opportunity for God to show His glory. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. You don't have to have everybody around you singing, Oh, how I love Jesus, in order for Jesus to show up at your house. And so thank God for that, that he works in our messes. But now let's look at what the text says and see some of the other things that accompany the manifestation of God's glory. In verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. And then he's going to go on and he's going to found the request that he's getting ready to make on what God has already revealed. And that's an important point in praying. When we pray, it is good if our prayers are founded in the Word of God and informed by the Word of God. Some of us uh, may have a difficult time filling up more than five or ten minutes with praying, and you feel like, well, I I ought to do a little bit more than that. Uh, One of the things that you can do is that you can pray through Scripture. You can find a passage of Scripture like this. The Psalms work very well, but any verse of Scripture almost will do. When you might say, Lord, you have assigned me a job. You have given me a task. And in Moses' case, it was bring up this people. But, but uh, for me, all this past week, I'm responsible to preach uh, two times a day. And, uh, and I, need, I need more to come through in my preaching than just uh, what Jim Oric can bring to the table. And so I go before the Lord and I say, Lord, this is going to be a mess if you don't bless it. I pray that you will come. I pray that you will open people's eyes. I pray that you will soften people's hearts. Lord Jesus, you have said that he who believes in you, springs of living water will flow from within him. I need that to happen today. I need the springs of living water to flow from within me. Now, that's my responsibility as a preacher of God's word, but you need it in the job that you do. Because you're responsible to do whatever it is you do like a child of God would do it. And you just need to acknowledge up front, Lord, I'd really rather not go to work today. But this is a job that you've given to me. I would really rather not confront the people at work that I've got to work with. But these are the people that you have put in front of me. And you have said that you would help me and so I need you to help me. And so Moses is able to say to the Lord, this is a job that you have given to me, and I need you to help me to do it right. You say that you know me by name, Moses says. That means that God knows who Moses is. He knows his strengths. He knows his weaknesses. He knows him personally. The previous Scripture reading that we had, the second one, says that God would speak to Moses face to face like a man speaks with his friend. Now, that's a figure of speech, but it just shows the level of intimacy that God had with Moses, that he would, he would talk to Moses 
The way that you might sit down at a table in a restaurant with a cup of coffee and talk to somebody that you really liked. Your best friend. That's the way God would talk to Moses. And, the Lord, and so Moses capitalizes on that. He takes advantage of the position that God has said that Moses has. And he says, Lord, you have told me that you really like me. Now, if you do, then please let me know that you're going to go with us. Now, there is a certain sense in which you and I need to recognize that we are not entitled to God's blessings. That's one of the great curses that is upon the land of America is that there are people all over this land who think that they deserve to have what everybody else has got. And there has developed an odd sense of justice and an odd sense of equality in this country that most people are no longer satisfied with equality of opportunity. They want equality of outcome. And that somehow it is... uh, It's sinful, or at least it's wrong. They might not use the word sinful, but it's wrong if you've got more than I have. I mean, after all, what makes you better than me? I deserve to have what you have. Never mind that you might have gone to college and studied hard to get qualified for that job that enables you to make more money than I do. Never mind that you may have gone to Votech school and learned a skill that enables you to make more money than I do. Never mind that you never had children out of wedlock and didn't, get, didn't have children until you got married. Never mind that you bothered to graduate from high school and I didn't. I deserve to have everything that you've got. That's not a healthy way to live. That's not good for America. It's not good for any culture. It certainly is not good for a child of God to put his hands on his hips and look up to God and say, I deserve better than this. No. But on the other hand, God has adopted you into his family. And you are a child of God. And so when you come before the Lord... You're not coming like a stranger with no claim on God's attention at all. You're coming saying, Lord, you have said that those that receive Jesus Christ, you give the right to become children of God. I'm your child. I I just don't see how that I could treat a child the way you're treating me. I'm not saying that I deserve any better, but Lord, I'm your child. I need some help here. Come before the Lord taking advantage of the position of privilege that he has given to you. Moses was able to say, you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor in my sight. Now, based on that, look at what he asks for. Next verse. Verse 13. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight. Please show me now your ways, that I may know you. So it's not just enough that you know me. I want to know you. Show me your ways, that I may know you, to find favor in your sight. Well, he's already said that the Lord has told him, Moses, you find favor in my sight. But Moses is saying, that's yesterday's blessings. I need your blessings today. I'm thankful that you have known me and that you have shown me favor. But I need, I need this to keep going. I need you to show me your ways. 
so that I may know you and that I may continue to find favor in your sight. A sight of God's glory is inextricably connected with knowing who God is and how He has revealed Himself. We must know His ways if we are going to see His glory. And if we are going to find favor in His sight, we must know His ways. And then look how he concludes verse 13. Consider too that this nation is your people. It's good when you're able to say, Lord, this is a task that you have assigned to me. Now, there are some times that we get ourselves into messes and it's, it's really our fault. But there are other times that it's not your fault. It's, it's a mess that, that God has allowed or even deliberately sent into your life for your, so that we have an opportunity for sanctification. And that we're able to say, Lord... I didn't ask for cancer. I didn't ask that cancer come to my family. You have allowed this to happen. Now help me, help me now, help me now to honor you and to see you in this. Sometimes it's not your fault that you get into deep financial trouble. Sometimes it's not your fault that trouble arises at work or at school. Sometimes it's not your fault. And how good it is if we are able to say in those circumstances, remember, Lord, you're the one who gave me this family. Remember, Lord, you're the one who gave me this spouse. Remember that you're the one who has given me this responsibility. Remember that this nation is your people. And So as I endeavor to fulfill my responsibilities to preach and teach and pastor this church and preach and teach at other places, I say this to God all the time. Bullet Lick is your people. Feed them. I want it to happen. I'm I'm trying to do it and to do a good job of it. But Lord, it's your people. Make it happen. And how good it is when we are able to take our tasks before the Lord and say, This is a job that you've given to me. Now give me what I need to do it well. The Lord answers him favorably in verse 14 when he says, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Okay, so the angel angel arrangement, it's off. You've asked me to go with you, Moses, so I'm going. I wonder how many blessings we don't get just because we never bothered to ask. And so Moses just kind of hammers it home, and he says in verse 15, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So uh, God has given the people of Israel a great law. God has given them some great promises. He's taken them out of Egyptian slavery. He's bringing them into the land of promise. But Moses says that's not the main thing that, ought to, uh, that, ought, that does distinguish us from everybody else on the earth. The main thing is that you, Lord, are with us. That you are with us. I wonder if that's the main thing about you and me. You know, 
there are, <clears throat> there are some people who just have the fragrance of God about them. And it can be sometimes a little, a little intimidating to be around those people. But they've got the presence of God about them. You might think of a preacher. I, I, can, I can think of a preacher or two that God is mightily using in America today. Preachers that I've known or preachers that I do know. That uh, they, just got, they just got God on them. And when they preach, you feel like this is a man who's come from the presence of God. I aspire to be that kind of a preacher. I aspire to be that kind of a man. You might know somebody in your family. It may have been your, your grandma or your old grandpa. And they might, not have, uh, they might not have had the advantages that other people have. But when you were around them, you knew you were in the presence of somebody who knew God. Don't you want to be like that? Don't, don't you want your grandkids one day to say, Grandma or Grandpa, man, she walked with God. One of my favorite little poems <clears throat> says, Not only in the words you say, not only in your deeds confessed, but in the most unconscious way is Christ expressed. To me, now the, the writer of this poem is someone who is speaking to someone who has influenced her greatly for, for the kingdom of heaven's sake. But she says in, the next, in this next stanza, it wasn't primarily through your teaching. It was very, that teaching was very clear to you. I didn't understand that. No, it was, it was something else that changed me. So she said, the author says, to me, t'was not the truth you taught, to you so clear, to me so dim, but when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. And from your eyes, he beckons me. And from your lips, his love is shed, till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. Is it a beatific smile or a holy light upon your brow? Oh no, I felt his presence when you laughed just now. Don't you want that to be true of you? That even, even when you're just laughing at something, that it's not, it's not a mean-spirited, mean sarcastic laugh, but it's a pure and holy laugh. And that it's a laugh that brings with it the the joy, joyful presence of the Lord. When I pray about our meetings, I pray that the, the singing will be good, and it is, and the preaching will be good, and it occasionally is. But I also pray, Lord, let there be, let there be a sense of you that goes with just the way people look at each other. When you shake hands and when you hug and and I feel it. I hope you feel it too when we get together. Just the joy of, I'm glad to see you. And uh, you know, when you give that, I'm glad to see you look to somebody when they walk through the door, that might be the only time they've got that look all week. And so let's pray that the Lord will, will just sanctify our, our, our presence with His presence. How else, Moses says, are people going to know that we're your people apart from your presence? And so these are some of the circumstances and some of the prayers that accompany a revelation of God's glory. 
Moses is having a good day in prayer. And so now, I think that he, he is taking advantage of the old phrase, strike when the iron is hot. And I think, there's, I think there's a spiritual truth to that. Call on the Lord while He is near. Seek Him while He may be found. I think that there are seasons in a church and that there are seasons sometimes in, in movements of revival when God is present and God is near. I think we should take advantage of those times when God is moving in your heart, when God is moving among other people. And we say, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. Lord, send the rain. And uh, I see that you're blessing other people. Do you have only one blessing? Wilt thou not also bless me, O my Father? Take advantage of these good days when the Lord is listening and the Lord is near. And Moses is having one of those days. So let's go on to see how that he asks for something that he's just kind of had in his back pocket and says, one of these days, when I find God in a really prayer-answering frame of mind, I'm going to pull this out and ask him for it. Let's see what he asks for. Moses, the Lord said to Moses in verse 17, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And now Moses pulls it pulls the thing out of his back pocket that he's been asking, wanting to ask for a while. Moses said, please show me your glory. Now I have to confess, after all these years of thinking and meditating on this passage of Scripture, and I remember I preached on this before I was married. So it's been more than 34 years ago that I preached on this. And all these years I've been thinking about this. I'm still not exactly sure what it means. I don't think Moses did exactly know either because, because of the answer that the Lord gives to him, which we'll see in just a minute. But Moses knew that there was more than he had seen. There was more than he had experienced. Now you just think about that and call to mind what Moses had already seen at this point in his life. Let's just start with the burning bush. And God gives him the commission. To, I mean, God's talking to him out of a bush. And he says, throw your rod down, throws it down, it becomes a snake. Pick your rod up, it turns back to a rod. Stick your hand inside your cloak. Pulls it out, covered with leprosy. Put it back in your cloak. Pulls it out, it's whole. He goes down into Egypt. Ten plagues come and go. At the word of Moses, water turned into blood, frogs come out of the river, lice cover the land, flies, death of the cattle, boils, all of ten plagues, death of the firstborn, they all come and go at Moses' word. They run out of Egypt, butt up against the Red Sea, here comes Pharaoh. Man, they're all scared. God says, be still and know that I am God. Hold that rod out over the, over the Red Sea. He holds it out over the sea. Strong wind comes. God parts the Red Sea. All night long, He parts the Red Sea. Children of Israel march through on dry land. Man, that's pretty glorious if you ask me. It looks great in Charlton Heston when he does it on the movies. Can you imagine being there? Hold out your rod. Sea parts. Hold your rod over it. Crashes together over Pharaoh and his army. People go out a little bit 
farther they, they don't have enough to eat, God says, I'm going to send you manna from heaven. Here comes enough manna to feed millions of people. People get to a place where they don't have enough water to drink. God says, take that rod and hit that rock right there. He does, out comes a river. Enough to, enough, it wasn't a little trickle like you see in some of the works of art. There's six million people that need to drink. And they got animals too. This is like the Ohio River must have come gushing out of this thing. And uh, Moses has seen all that. That seems to me to be pretty glorious. I think if just one of those things had happened to me, I would think, man, I've seen the glory of God. But Moses says, I know there's more than that. I know you're holding something back. Just every once in a while, I catch a little glimmer of something that is just so beautiful that it transcends everything that I've ever seen, Lord. Every once in a while, I see a a glimmer of light shine through, and I know there's more behind that, and so I want you to show me what's there. Show me your glory. This is a prayer that I think that it is appropriate for us to ask. Lord, show me your glory. Don't let me... Don't let me be mundane just to go on eating, eating carrots and sardines and spinach for breakfast. Give me a cinnamon roll every once in a while. I want to experience you. I want to feel you. And uh, I think that sometimes, sometimes those of us who place a high value on the teaching of the Word of God, we've been so blessed by it. And, and please God, may our, may our doctrine be right. And you know... I'm a strong believer in doctrine, but I think that sometimes we just we just get accustomed to eating spinach and carrots and sardines for breakfast, and uh, and we're surviving and we're going to go to heaven, but we just don't have that that longing to see God's glory that evidently Moses did. I think it's appropriate for us to pray for it. And here's what the Lord says to him in verse 19. The Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. So Moses asks to see God's glory and God says, I'm going to show you my goodness. Pay attention to God's goodness in your life. See how he has been good. Sometime take a peek at somebody who's living in the heart of Africa and see what their life is like and see what your life is like and let it let it be a manifestation of God's glory to you. Pay attention to God's goodness. And then pay attention to God's sovereignty. The Lord says, and I will be gracious. No, no, before that, pay attention to God's name. God says, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. We see God's glory in the revelation of His character, which is what is meant by His name, The revelation of His character. There's glory in that. And then there's glory in the sovereignty of God. The Lord says at the end of verse 19, And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So, Moses, I I have shown favor to you, but don't think that I'm obligated to do what you're asking. The Apostle Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 9 when he talks about how that God chose Jacob and rejected Esau that he raised up Pharaoh for the purpose of smacking him down and showing that he can smack down the most powerful man on earth. And it's easy and no problem for him. And he anticipates that somebody might say, well, wait a second, that's not fair. And, and then the Apostle Paul quotes this passage of Scripture to say, 
Before you go to saying that God has done something unfair, you've got to first of all establish that he was obligated to show mercy to everybody. And he clearly is not. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. I'm not obligated to show mercy to everybody. Has he shown mercy to you? Praise God, it wasn't because you and I deserved it. It's because he was pleased to do it. It was reliant on his will. And there's glory in that. There's glory in the sovereignty of God. Many of you have felt it, and I have too. But, the Lord said in verse 20, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Now, we just saw back up in verse 11 that God spoke to Moses face to face, and I told you that was a figure of speech. God does not have a face like humans have so that we couldn't see him unless God opens our eyes to see something in another dimension, which may be what Moses is asking for here. I don't think Moses is saying, let me see your nose and your eyes and your mouth and your ears. But the face is the part of a person that is most glorious in most cases. And, uh, but the, the, the face is at least the part that is most revelatory of that person's character. So you can learn more by taking a glance at a person's face than by looking all day at his feet. So Moses is saying... I want to see who you really are, more of it. I know you've begun to show me that, but I want to see who you really are and enjoy it and taste it. And God, God says, son, I know what you're asking for. I'm not going to give it to you because it would kill you. But I'm pleased and I'm going to show you as much as I can. It's going to be a dangerous situation, so you're going to need some protection. And so he says in verse 21, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So I think that something like this literally happened to Moses. I think that there was a literal rock and there was a place in that rock, like like a rock house or like a big split. And uh, I think Moses went in there. I think Moses really saw something. I don't know. You'll see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Not sure what that looked like. But now in the concluding minutes of this sermon, I'm going to make a spiritual application of this because it's begging for me to do it. The place where we can see God's glory is also in a rock. Jesus Christ, is his teaching is described as a rock. Jesus himself is described as a rock. We just sang about Jesus as the rock of ages. Prophecies about him say that that he will be like the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And so commonly in the scriptures, God himself and his son Jesus are described as a rock. And my spiritual application here is that if you want to see God's glory, get in the rock. Now at first the Lord says, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. So you're standing on the rock. 
But then also on the rock, there's a safe place that's a cleft in the rock. Now, usually if there's a rock house, it has been formed by some kind of violent activity. Maybe the erosion of water and wind and so on, but it, it, uh, it, has, it apparently hasn't been that way since the creation of the world. And, and then there are also uh, crevices in rocks that are caused because of uh, uh, an earthquake or some other kind of violent upheaval that has caused the rock to split. So the rock has a cleft in it because of violence. And that is true of our rock. There is a safe place that has been opened in Jesus Christ through violence, through the violence of the crucifixion, the rock of ages has been split, and now there is a cleft that the Lord has made in the rock of ages where we can have safety. And so that's why we sing, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And then the author of the poem turns his attention to the Lord and says, let the water and the blood from thy, the original word was riven, which means that it has been riven like a rock. It has been opened. Let, let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. The modernized version says, save from wrath and make me pure. It's not an improvement over what the author wrote. The author wrote, save me from its guilt and power. When, when you are in Jesus Christ and you are subjected to the cleansing power of His blood... There is water to cleanse you from your sin. There's also blood to make you pure. Cleansing from sin is half of what you need. Being made pure is the other half of what you need. And so we pray, let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. What is the double cure? He tells us, cleanse me from its guilt and power. The guilt of sin is the fact that you have disobeyed God and you need to be forgiven. But that's not all that needs to happen to you. You need to be changed into a new person so that you don't keep on loving sin. And that's what it means to be cleansed from guilt, the guilt of sin, and the power of sin. So that sin no longer has dominion over you. These blessings are to be found in the safe place. Jesus Christ is the rock that has been cleft so that we might hide in Him. And the Lord says, I'll cover you there with my hand. And in Jesus Christ, we behold the glory of God. Don't expect to see anything more splendid than that. The great splendors of God's glory are now revealed to us through knowing who Jesus was and what Jesus did, following Him, receiving Him, and embracing His teachings. When I was growing up, we sang a song by Fanny Crosby. Some of you will recognize it. <clears throat> Some of you might even be able to sing along with me. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. 
He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hath my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. Amen. You're dismissed.